welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Hello and welcome to Side Alpha Leadership. Welcome to February's installment. Um, my name is David Polikoff. I'll be your host. Um, we had a really good uh, sit-down conversation with Sam Villani last uh, last month, and uh, I'm expecting to uh, move forward with today's um, uh, podcast uh, with a friend and coworker of mine, Dave Braun. Uh, Dave works in the same fire service or same county that I work in. Uh, just recently got promoted to uh, the rank of lieutenant. So without me taking up all this airtime, Dave, welcome and go ahead and uh, give a little bit of background about yourself. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, Dave Braun uh, started with the uh, United States Marine Corps. That is, uh, I guess, what you would say the beginning of the journey that led me here. So my. Uh, <laughs> I actually signed my contract to join the Marines on September 10th, 2001. Um, that's actually hanging in my basement. So uh, signed the contract, young man. I uh, have a young boy, uh, m- myself and my wife. Uh, at the time, she was my girlfriend, team parent. So needed some direction and uh, sign up. And the world kind of comes crashing down the next day. So my timeline gets accelerated. I end up at Paris Island, which is the East Coast training facility for the USMC. And this is uh, right around Thanksgiving. So I end up in the fleet early 2002. And I enter a young rifleman, military occupational specialty, what we call 0311. Uh, The unit that I go to, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Marines, it's an East Coast based unit. Um, The good thing with me is when you get to the fleet, You're kind of thrown to the wolves, and it's a uh, it's a pretty crazy experience in and of itself. Uh, it's a lot of people have compared it actually to going to prison for the first time, right. uh, and it's kind of <laughs> that's kind of a, a, a shaky metaphor. But I uh, I got I guess my entire life has been right place, right time, and I got really lucky. I ended up with a really good squad leader, and uh, I spent uh, about year and a half as a rifleman, uh, went on a deployment, what the Marine Corps called the longest deployment since the Vietnam War. That's because when we started, Iraq really wasn't really wasn't being spoken about. And then uh, while we were overseas, that's kind of when operations in Iraq popped off. So, And just for a frame of reference, with the Marine Corps, when we deploy, we typically don't deploy as long as the Army. Our deployments are a lot shorter. That's because when we... When we go somewhere, we go somewhere, say, the Mediterranean Sea, and we kind of sit there, and we're essentially like a 911 for whatever else happens right. in the rest of the world. The tip of the spear. Exactly. <laughs> the tip of the spear. Yep. That's what we like to call ourselves. Obviously, the Army's not too keen on that uh, on that term, but that's okay. So when I came back, I had – well, let me backtrack. When I was on deployment, there was a unit in our battalion. It consisted of these guys who had this, I guess, this sort of swagger to them. They were, you know, they were the ones that I don't want to say elite because that's doing a disservice to the rest of the O3s because really everybody, I think, that does a high impact job like that has a little bit of elite in them. But some people, I guess, their want and their choice of what they want to do is a little bit more than others. So, I gravitated towards these guys 
and they were called the State Platoon, Surveillance and Target Acquisitory, or that's actually a running joke, Acquisitory is not a word, it's acquisition. But they consisted of the what the Marine Corps called the 8541s, the Scout Snipers. And when I came back from my first deployment, I had gotten up with one of their chief scouts, and I had expressed interest in wanting to be a part of that platoon, and he explained to me the process. So, say, fast forward maybe three or four months, and I'm in the indoc, and I was fortunate enough to pass the indoc. So, after the indoc, I, uh, I end up at a state platoon, and typically when you get to a state platoon, you're supposed to spend about a year to a year and a half before you're eligible to go to the school. Again, fortune strikes in my favor. I'm back at the barracks. I'm on duty while everyone else is on block leave. It's the holidays, and my family was in North Carolina with me. Everybody else was single. They had family all over the world, so I had volunteered to stay back and take duty. Everybody thought I was doing them a massive favor. At the time, my wife was a little bit upset with me because duty, you know, 24 hours walking around the barracks doing nothing. And I get a phone call from my what we call uh, chief scout. He's the, the head of all the, the three sections in the state platoon. And he informs me that two of the guys that had uh, gone to school for the winter session had actually showed up. Uh, I guess they had smelled a booze the night before or something. Mm-hmm. So they weren't having it. They called up to our battalion. They said, hey, uh, we have these quotas and we don't want to throw them away. But if you have somebody that's ready to go right now, we'll give it to him. He called me. I called my wife. I was, you know, hey, pack all my stuff. Let's get in there. Uh, obviously not. She's not coming with me, but, you she, know, she knows. She probably wasn't very thrilled. Either. Right. She <laughs> No, because unfortunately that meant more time away. But, well, if I was, if I was, uh able to pass. But I told her, put everything green in a bag, let's go. Uh, I ended up at the schoolhouse. And this, I like to focus on this because this is sort of where my experience in the Marine Corps shifted, especially in dealing with leadership, which I know is uh, the the focus of this podcast. Um, So I was fortunate. Again, I got through the school on on the first go round. And once you become a school trained scout sniper, what we call a hog, you pick up the MOS 8541. You're now a team leader. So when I went back to my platoon, I was the junior guy in the platoon, and I was now a team leader. Right. Um, obviously, there were some fellows that weren't exactly thrilled about that, but that's kind of the way it goes. And uh, that's, you know, that's essentially, that's the story of the Marine Corps, really any, you know, uh, organization that has a chain command. So I ended up doing a couple deployments with the state platoon. Got some really cool opportunities, served on what we call an MSPF, a Maritime Special Purpose Task Force. Consists of us, recon, some elements from the SEALs. It's essentially like this smorgasbord of intelligence gathering units. And in a wartime environment, in an operational environment like uh, Fallujah, it you really get to put a lot of the experiences and uh, and techniques and tactics that we're sharing across the board into place. So it was a great it was a great area to kind of you know hone our skills and and see what worked and what didn't work for the the modern scout sniper and the modern marine in general. So 2006 I had actually uh, extended my enlistment by a year. At this point, I am at what the Marine Corps calls the Special Operations Training Group, or SOTG. It sounds more a lot, uh, or sounds a lot more uh, exciting than what it is. Um, 
what we do is we work on uh, the, the the Marine infantry units that are getting ready to deploy. They go through a series of training, and we help facilitate that training, but we can also deploy within that unit. So I was considering deploying. Uh, I had to go through what we call a TAPS class, Transitional Assistance Program. And when I went through the class, I met Bob Moody. Bob Moody, he was a captain in this department. I know you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to go around to the bases, do military recruiting. So he had spoken to me about, you know, hey, if you ever consider being a fireman. And the minute he mentioned fireman, or actually I should be saying firefighter. The minute he mentioned firefighter, it was like a light went off inside my head. I was really unsure of whether or not I wanted to stay in the Marine Corps. Um, I didn't hate it like some people did. Right. But at the same time, I realized that deploying like this and staying in the MOS that I was in, it was going to be difficult. Right. Um, you know, we already had a second kid at this point. So I had to give consideration to my wife. I mean, she had been behind me this entire time. And, you know, I'm picking up and leaving. And especially when I got to Stapleton, um, they're not going to spend all that money on you and just let you sit in the rear. So um, as soon as I heard about that, I went back and I spoke with my wife about it. And I was like, you know, this is it. I want to get out. I want to join the fire department. This seems like uh, this, you know, seems perfect. And she was thrilled. She was like, you know, I think that's a that's a great idea. And then she kind of let it sit in for a minute. And she was like, well, wait a minute, you know, you're kind of trading one devil for another as far as, you know, I guess the the dangers involved and everything. And I was like, well, look at it this way. I'll be home. I might not be in the house as much, but I won't be, you know, 30,000 miles away. So and gone for months. Exactly. So she was like, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think this is the, the path that you should take. So uh, Montgomery County was hiring uh, late 2006. I applied, get through the academy. I end up at Station One when the truck was there, and I mean, I was I was elated. It was a, a great place to be. You know, Station One for those who are unfamiliar, it's downtown Silver Spring. It you know looks like any other city you would visit. Uh, it's just this you know massive place, lots of people, high call volume. Uh, the the captain who was here, the podcast before, he's actually the captain there now. So, uh, you know, and I know you had spent some time at one as well. Right. So it's uh, it was just it was a great place to be. And I was having an absolute blast and uh, was just kind of hanging out, you know, doing my thing, running calls, learning what I could. And uh, and then we get transferred. Well, since I was I started at one, I should say, as a rookie, the way I got to stay at one was there was an opening at Station 2. The truck from Station 2 was at Station 1. So the way they kept me at Station 1 was I put in for the opening at Station 2, and I stayed with the truck crew detailed to 1. Although at the time, I wasn't a tiller truck driver. I was just the fourth person. So either way, it didn't matter. I got to stay at 1, So and I loved the crew from 2 as well, so it was a win-win for me. Um, so the truck gets transferred to uh, Station 16, and I end up having to go with the truck crew, and I spend some time at 16 for a while. And uh, again, I'm just I'm happy I get to stay in the first. It's a new crew. There were some you know some adjustments that had to be made, you know, versus our lieutenant and the current captain. But you know things kind of worked themselves out, and uh, and I was you know I was doing good for a while, and then uh, I guess about maybe I'd say. Six years into my career, I hit kind of a hiccup and 
hit a dark spot. And thankfully, I had a, a fantastic shift who was right there to pick me right back up and help me out and help me get through it. And when I uh, when I came back, I decided that I, you know, uh, the moderation that I felt like I was applying, just kind of, you know, going through the motions. I was done doing that. I was going to do everything 110%. I was going to pay it forward all the time and effort that everybody put into me. So I decided, all right, first step is getting checked off on that truck. Got checked off on that truck, realized that the best job in the fire department is a... Tiller man. Yep, is a tiller man. <laughs> and furthermore, the best job in the fire department is truck company ops. Uh, I know that's always a big point of contention, but... I love being on a truck. I uh, I love the work that it involved. I love the uh, independent mindset. The crew that I was with at the time, uh, let's see, at 16, we had uh, Sam Villani. He was a lieutenant. Uh, Franco Martinez, he was the truck master. Uh, so uh, just bouncing stuff off of those two. And then the, uh, the other guys that were there that were also part of the truck crew, Derek Buckley, Matt Adams, John Matt, uh, excuse me, John Merrill, uh, Wes Shipley was there. Uh, Mike Murphy was there. Bill Cook was the captain. It was just, it was a great shift. We had a lot of fun. We uh, spent a lot of time training, perfecting our craft. Uh, it was a, it was a renewed sense for me. I realized that 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 shift, that 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 family that I had, I was so very fortunate to have. Um, you know, when I got checked off on on the truck. I was actually Franco took me out to eat. He took me to this surprise dinner bought me a shirt. He like, he made a huge deal out of it. And it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome to me. Right. I was like, this is, you know, this is what it's about. This is why I love being here. This is what I love doing. Um, it's, it's just, it's amazing to me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. And that's kind of where I struggled a little bit with, you know, I, I, I could stay here. I could stay in this Tillerman spot for the rest of my career, or I could start to pay forward what, you know, what people spent time and effort putting into me. I mean, I'm talking, Hundreds of hours sitting around with with you know Sammy uh, Buffett New York jobs and you know coming up with crazy training scenarios and he just he fed all this information into me he was he was you know he was exactly what I expected uh, a leader and you know someone who's looking out for the men below them to be and and, and the same with Franco uh, Franco made that truck company you know he made me feel like I was a part of that truck company and not to dissuade anything from the engine company or the other guys in the house but it just it, it made me feel like I was a part of something bigger and better than myself right. and uh you know I just kind of I went from there and I realized that when they promoted on that if I were to stay there um you know I, I would probably stay there for the rest of my career it was just it was too great of a spot to leave so and there was a there was a really really big incident Arliss Street that had happened and that was I guess almost like a a culmination of all the tactics and techniques that I had been taught. Um, I actually sustained a minor injury on that fire. And to give you an idea of how, uh, you know, how far some of these people go, uh, Sam actually drove all the way up to Shady Grove from Baltimore just to pick me up and drive me home. Right. Um, I already had a ride. Sure. Uh, so he just, he, you know, and that's how Sam was, you know, he had to, he was like, no, I have to come pick my guy up. I have to see him. And, and I it wasn't like a, like a major injury, you know, it was a, it was a dislocated shoulder, but still it's just little things like that. You know, Franco uh, blowing my phone up at three in the morning. He's on vacation, you know, wanting to know, Hey, are you okay? Is everything all right? What happened? It's just, 
you know, it made me realize that I'm, uh, you know, I need to, I need to, I, I need to encompass that. I need to encumber the lessons and and then the people that, you know, and the time that they have put into me, and I need to pass that forward. And so, that's kind of when I decided, all right, they're moving on. I'm going to finish my, or excuse me, I'm going to finish my squad stuff up, and I'm going to go to. Uh, Another station just to kind of get a different perspective on the county. And from there, uh, I went to station 15 and I started working on my squad stuff. And I I had another great crew there that helped me out and assisted me. And I had expressed that, you know, once I was uh, once I was finished with my squad stuff, I was going to start focusing on the promotional test. So the promotional test came around. And uh, once again, you know, uh, me, it's I've always said that my one good I guess feature is that I know how to surround myself with, you know, the best, the best people on this job. And, and that same family that I'd spent so much time with, they, they surrounded me and they provided me with assistance. And, uh, you know, there were some other people, uh, Jason Smith, chief McDonald, they helped me study for the test. They kept me focused. And, uh, to sort of get to the end of my bio, uh, obviously, you know, you talk about these great people and when they put this time into you, it's going to pay off. And uh, the time they put into me, it paid off. And, and now I am a, uh, a freshly promoted lieutenant in uh, in this amazing department. And I'm uh, I'm just couldn't be more happy. <laughs> now, I know and, and I know you talked about um, and, and we'll get into that in a minute. You know, you said, you know, when you were at 16, that's when I met you. You talked about the little dark spot you got into. And unfortunately, that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. But it was also a fortunate thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I wanted to get back to, um, I was never in the military. You know, my, my father and my grandfather in the military, but I have no military background. But I've been doing a lot of research and, and into leadership and, you know, how, what we, what, what happens in the military how it it can actually uh, kind of cross over into the fire service, and and uh, I know you know I I know you're you were a sniper and a scout, and you know I know it's not like the movies where you know you go here's your mission here's your target and you 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 find somebody and you track them and you pull the trigger and you high five each other and you go home. Right. It's not like that at all. A lot of it is like not. hurry up and wait, gathering intel, you know, trying to make sure everything's right, and you know. But I want to get to the gathering and the intel part and getting the intel and being able to understand, you know, what your mission is, having the correct intel and then being able to execute your mission. How does that work for you now? I know you just got promoted, Lieutenant. I'm sure you haven't had a boatload of, of issues being thrown at you. But one of the things that I talk about and I harp on is, is being engaged with your people and being engaged with your people means that you've got to see what's going on. So, and I could be way off base, but th- this is a, a, an honest question is the Intel that you learned how to gather as in the Marines, do you use any of those techniques or the, just to be able to view people or look at situations and say something's not right? And maybe I need to dig a little bit deeper. If you do go into that a little bit. Absolutely. So, uh, well, first to answer your question, yes, I do. Um, there are so many similarities between the military and the fire department. Um, you know, I like to say that I traded a green uniform for a blue one and, and, and vice versa. And there's actually, um, you know, I have some guys that are still serving that are taking lessons that, uh, you know, we get in the fire department and they're applying them to to the military. So to give you a little bit of perspective, uh, so with the Marine Corps, everything's kind of done in these two-year bursts. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, the average enlistment is four years. So you come in the Marine Corps, the way they look at it is you're going to spend two years as a what they call a junior Marine or a boot. You're the young guy. You're just there to listen. You're not there to talk. You're there to, you know, learn, so on and so forth. And then after your two years, you are what they call a, a senior Marine. And I know, you know, in the fire department, we, you know, two years is nothing senior. Right. It's, but, it's But right. you end up having people underneath you. And it's funny because... In the Marine, you know, you're new guys, you call them boots, and mm-hmm. that's what we'd call them back when, when I first started in the fire service as, as when I was at One Engine. We didn't have recruit classes, but, uh, you know, everybody was like, hey, boot, you know, that's, yep. that's what they called you. And I'm like, all right, whatever that means. But I guess that means that, you know, you're the FNG, you know. So, absolutely, absolutely. So it's funny, you know, now that I fast forward, I'm like, oh, that's that. That's my like my little aha moment. So that's where I came from. Yep. So. So it's actually uh, just a little real quick history. Uh, that term boot, that's a, actually a Navy term. Mm-hmm. It comes from uh, the new guys on the ship. Their boots would be polished and they weren't hit with all the salt. And actually when you call someone salty, right. that was a term that was used, you know, World War II era. And it was the same thing when you were out to sea for a long time. You got a lot of salt splashed on your uniform from the salt water if you were in a, you know, that type of environment. Or just washing the uniform in general would turn it white. Right. Hence the term salty. So, but, uh, so, so there's your transi- transition from military into the fire as well. So we talk about, oh, this guy's real salty. You know, oh, his helmet's all dirty yep. and all that. Although we're kind of frowning on that now. But, uh, you know, it makes makes you look at that, that. That guy's been around a lot. You know, if he's been, if his uniforms are all messed up from being in the boat, that means he's been around for a while. Same thing if your helmet's kind of blackened from true fires, then that means that, you know, yeah. you've been around the block. Yep. So yep. it's, it's, it's history lesson it's a symbol of pride it you know and and experience matters it always has it always will um so so talking about what you mentioned earlier now when i i was really really fortunate in my marine corps enlistment i got to i was a leader in every mos that i held i was a team leader in the infantry i was a team and section leader in a state platoon um and then when i was on my way out and i got to sotg i was what they called a team or section or chalk or whatever fancy term they wanted to use at the time uh in the training group so starting off the bat you're dealing with three completely different types of personalities um with the infantry, you're dealing with, you know, these young guys, they're fresh in, they want to do well, they don't ask a lot of questions, you know, they kind of accept that, not necessarily the way the things are the way they are, but again, we don't have a lot of time. They're looking at it like, you know, oh, I don't have to spend 10 or 12 years here, I'm only spending two years, and then I'm going to hopefully be that NCO, and I'm going to be that one that's in charge. Right. When you get to the state platoon, you're dealing with a much more... And I hate to use the term mature because, again, I do not want to diminish anything in the O3s. The reason why, and actually in the state platoon, we always had a problem with recruitment. It had nothing to do, well, it did have a little bit to do with the NDOC. But the reality of it was, is a lot of these guys, we require that they have a deployment under their belt. Usually by the time you get a deployment under your belt, you've got two years in. By the time you've got two years in, you're an NCO. So a lot of these guys, they become team leaders in their platoons. And they're like, why do I want to start all the way over at the beginning when I, you know, I've got two years left. I want to be a team leader. I want to spend some time leading, applying the stuff that, you know, I saw my senior Marines do and so on and so forth. So with a state platoon, it's not uncommon to have guys on their, you know, second enlistment, six seven, eight years in, and then we have, in, in our platoon, we actually had a, a PFC. Uh, he got busted down, but he had probably all of two years 
two and a half years in the Marine Corps and he went through the school. He became a team leader and I don't want to say it was as a joke, but uh, he ended up with some of the more senior guys in his in his team. And actually, that was one of our best performing teams in the in the state platoon. So, you know, those guys were eventually able to sort of put aside that, you know, that animosity and realize that, hey, we're working towards a bigger goal. But going back to what I said, it's just it's a completely different type of person that you're dealing with. You know, these people that are in these platoons, they ask questions. They're really good at what they do. They've already, you know, proven themselves through either the indoc, through time as a probationary member in a team, through the countless field ops that they've done, all the work that they've done working up to the school. So it's just, it's a different mindset. And I don't want to, you know, say that they, they back talk or anything like that. They just, they've already, you know, They've lived that, hey, we're just going to do things because we're told to do it and they want to know more. Right. They'll do it, but right. they want to know more. So, and then further on down the line, when I was uh, with SOTG, the group that I was with, it was a bunch of guys that were um, getting out. So their mindset really was, hey, you know, I really don't care. But, you know, you still got to kind of find a way to reach them and, you know, hey, you know, we still serve the Marine Corps here and, and you know, whether they want to admit it or not, you know, they ultimately believed in the mission and they right. put forth the effort. But so the things that I picked up uh, specifically in this school, as far as intelligence gathering, uh, what's unique about the state platoon and I keep calling it State Platoon. It's not called State Platoon anymore. They changed the name. It's actually called Scout Sniper Platoon. Um, they changed the MOS number, but the mission is still the same. So you talked about, you know, tracking and hunting and stuff like that. And while, you know, the true definition of a scout sniper He's an expert in field craft and marksmanship. He's able to deliver precision fire to select targets. That's actually like literally right out of the the mission statement. Um, A lot of these high-end special forces units, you know, they have their own snipers. And while we certainly are considered a, you know, a, a like a special forces unit and while we have worked with a lot of different units, you know, if they have something important like that, like a true... I don't know what you would call it, hunter-killer mission, you know, that's going to go to, like, one of the Tier 1 units. Sure. Um, now, with that being said, um, the way that they teach us to process information, especially in the school, um, and not so much when it comes to intelligence gathering, but when it comes to and, – and, and the 14 leadership traits, and we're going to talk about this, and I have to kind of segue this because it's a perfect example. One of them is tact, uh, the term tact. Mm-hmm. And we, in a state platoon, when we deploy, we don't stay within the platoon. We actually uh, task out to different line companies. So we go up to the company commander who's got you know three platoons of grunts, and we say, okay, here's what we can do for you. Here's what we can provide for you. Here's how we can operate, you know, not only in uh, not only uh, to assist the battalion, but to assist the company, the platoon, the, the squad and the team level. Now, a lot of the young officers in the Marine Corps, 
they don't have a ton of experience. More so uh, during my time because, you know, the war and a lot of what was going on was brand new. Right. You know, when Fallujah happened, um, when we originally crossed the border, we had actually stopped in uh, part of Fallujah because it was a safe zone for us. Because, you know, the government had worked out deals with Sadr. And uh, there's a rich backstory of Fallujah and Iraq and how Saddam couldn't supposedly couldn't pass through Fallujah. Um, and then fast forward, you know, a year and a half, and we are literally, you know, going house to house, uh, not unlike Hue City in Vietnam, although I would never compare Iraq to Vietnam. But still, you know, we are literally going house to house, you know, fighting one of the most difficult battles of Iraqi freedom, of, excuse me, enduring freedom. Um, so all of this was new. So you have these new company commanders and we called it the water tower syndrome in the middle of the Southern edge of Fallujah. There was this giant water tower. And if you were to look out in the middle of the city and you had no training whatsoever, and you were to hear a shot ring out and someone were to say, Hey, there's a, there's a, a sniper out in that city. You would say, He's probably in that tower, right? Right. So that's what we want to avoid. Um, a big portion of the school is they teach us to be really proficient in setting up these, they call them uh, final firing positions. A couple of them. You know, in the school, we stalk up to the tree line. We have instructors on the tree line. We have to fire a blank. We have to read off the number that they hold up. And then we have to move to the secondary firing position. And they're not allowed to find us. And if we apply the principles that they show us, we have no problems. One of the first stalks that uh, one of my instructors ever did, he did hand to God. And he's notorious for doing this in his underwear. He right. crawled through a swamp in his underwear because he's like, that ghillie suit you use is trash. Right. It is. It's it's not trash. It's a tool. It it helps you, but you know, that does not make you invisible. Right. It, your own, you know, just being aware and, and moving methodically and burning through the bush and, and, and so on and so forth. So going back to the question, the water tower syndrome. We go up to these company commanders. We'd lay out everything we could do for them. They'd look at the water tower and they would say, "We want you to set up in that water tower." And it's like, "Sir, that that's a death trap to us. It's a death trap. Mm-hmm. If we go up in there and we're out there, you know, um, just two of us, we're going to be on, you know, on Al Jazeera TV, getting our heads cut off." Right. There was a uh, pretty infamous story about a recon sniper unit that um, was killed overseas. They were, you know, operating at a at a uh, an observation post, and they didn't answer the radio checks. And they came out, and all their equipment was missing. Their bodies were there. Um, a really cool addition to the story, though, is is that a member of that uh, battalion that lost those two guys actually shot and killed one of the individuals that had his rifle. I think it was eight years later. The Marine Corps actually recovered this stolen rifle. Yeah. And they it's a trophy and it's hanging up in the battalion office. And that's right. kind of – that's crazy because, you know, just to think like the likelihood of that happening. Right. Um, but anyway, so tact. I think of tact is how we talk to people more specifically, how we talk to people above us and how we – so I could sit there and sit, tell that company commander – Sir, that's not my mission. You're going to get me killed. What the hell are you thinking? Right. 
And in that exact moment, you know, I'm going to shut down any and any and all hope. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a captain. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter what I think, but only to a point. You know, he is going to make decisions and judgment calls based on that. I don't want that. So let's bring that in the fire service. You know, you as a battalion chief, you are, I guess, what I would consider the last operational leg of leadership. You know, above you, you know, the doc might come out on fires, but, you know, really it's it's mostly you. Mm -hmm. So you are all this information is being passed up to you. And, you know, the people above you might not see that and all this information is being passed down to you from the people above you and you have to I'm sure I'm going out on a limb here but I'm sure you know you have to use tact to you know block some of these things that may be coming down from up top that they're not considering you know well this might not be the best for operations this might not be the best for your people mm -hmm. um no not unlike what I did in the Marines, especially as a young sergeant sitting in a meeting with all of these officers going over these, you know, well-laid plans and these, you know, uh, five-paragraph orders is what we call them. And they come up with a plan and I have to say, you know, sir, with all due respect, you know, that plan, that's not that's not effective. It's not, you know, it's not best employing us. Um, so here's maybe something else to consider. So... They harped on that when I was in school that, you know, you're not dealing with staff sergeants and gunnery sergeants anymore. You are the person that this this company commander is going to come to and he's going to get intel from. There's no middlemen. Right. So you can't use the, you know, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dumb sergeant. Not that sergeants are dumb, but right. so there's two things they do. One of them is they make us the literal, the uh, literal most proficient intelligence gatherers in the world. Um, we get a world class uh, training program on how to gather intelligence. Translation: good at our job. Right. We're good at our job. We we enjoy what we do. We're good at it. And the second part is is they they give us you know examples. Hey, you know this is how you want to approach this company commander. You know we know that. He knows that you're good at your job. We know that he thinks that you're all a bunch of cowboys. They had a bunch of derogatory names for us, you know, uh, Suntan Association, uh, supposedly. I never heard that one directly, but, you know, we grew, I mean, we, we had to use flight suits and we grew our hair out a little bit because we, you know, if we get caught, we don't want to have a direct, you know, um, we don't want to look exactly like Marines. Um, there's a reason for that because if they catch somebody with a bolt-action rifle out in the middle of nowhere, they know he is a, a huge intelligence asset, right? Um, so not to say that that's an effective answer, but there's there's reasons to everything we do. So as far as employing that now, um, I would – I would take a guess and I would say that especially now more than ever, I am going to have to call back on that, that specific trait tact. And I'm going to have to use the same exact tactics that I use that were, you know, I employed in the Marine Corps in talking to, you know, my chain of command, because, you know, maybe there's something coming down from the dock office when I come in and it's not best for the, you know, the, the crew that I got, maybe it's, it's, it's something where, you know, I could either say, okay, you know, let's just do it and shut up about it, or maybe I can employ a little bit of tact, you know, maybe get this move to another day, whatever. Um, so that's just, that's one though. Um, I'm of the mindset 
everything that I picked up on in the uh, military is has a direct application to the job that I do now. Every one of those traits has a direct application to the job that I do now. Uh, all of the all of the tactics. So straight intelligence gathering, um, just being able to communicate, communicate effectively, right? Understand right. what people want, understanding what's overkill, you know, and I struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. But, you know, I, I try to look back to all of the stuff that I learned and realize that just because it's not talking about, you know, uh, combat, you know, it's still applicable to the stuff that we do. Picking up on cues, you know, we pull up on a house that's on fire. We have literally seconds to, you know, give a good on scene report, you know, depending on what we see and we have to pick up on certain clues. It's no different. It's, right. it, it, it really isn't. It's just a matter of understanding that, you know, the environment has changed, but the tactics, the techniques, maybe not. I know when, you know, we, we are asking a lot of the officers, a lot of, to, to give intel over the radio when they arrive on the scene. You know, it's at least eight, eight points uh, for your initial size of, then you have your uh, supplemental unit report, uh, report from the rear if possible, uh, status of the occupancy is a big thing. You know, these are all things that are going through your head. It's not just, hey, I'm going to pull a line, go into the front door and put the fire out. You need to, you need to pass that intel on. So everybody kind of knows what's going on on the fire ground, what your game plan is, and then when the when the incident commander gets there, you know, as long it matches what you said is is continually happening. If it's not, then questions need to be asked. Um, so I figured that 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 the the training that you received, you know, when you became a corporal and then you became a sergeant before you left, you know, that training you, you received, it's it's got to play over into the fire service there are some things that you can uh, use in order to how to talk to people and how to get information from people and how to get actually get people that's like almost the 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 down and dirty definition of leadership is to get people to do things that you want them to do um with that and a lot of that i'm you learned that in the military as you became you know because your corporals and the sergeants they're they're usually pretty pretty young guys Mm -hmm. and uh Mm-hmm. And uh, you, in the fire service, you have the opportunity to get promoted pretty quick. You could actually be in charge of guys that are older or more senior, that were time in wise, um, and uh, that that whole thing comes back down to, to ego and tact and how you approach stuff like that. So we talked about the the uh, the traits uh, through the Marines, and I want to break them down. We, you and I have talked about this a lot, and uh, and what each means. And uh, you know, and then we'll we'll pick a few off and see how they they uh, they, they apply to the fire service. So the acronym was JJ did tie buckle, and uh, for the people that don't understand what that is, Dave, I'm going to allow you to explain what each one knows. And I know, being the good marine, you know what each one is. It was pounded into your head, absolutely, uh, and, uh, and, absolutely. and that's how the code that you live by as you went yep. through. So so go ahead. So JJ did tie buckle: justice, judgment, dependability, integrity, decisiveness. Attack, initiative, enthusiasm, bearing, unselfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and endurance. And, pe- um, and people get upset when I talk about the 13-point size up uh, uh, that Wallace was hot or Cole was wealth. You know, we have our acronyms, obviously, in the fire service, mm-hmm. which is another takeaway from, from, uh, from the military. So, you know, the military is full of acronyms. Loaded and with things them. Things that I didn't understand. Them. But let's go ahead and break it down. So go ahead. Sure. So, uh, so starting with justice. So... Justice, um, you know, obviously it's a, it's, it's, it's a, you know, justice, you know, the, the what's right, what's wrong. Um, I think, you know, because we're focusing on leadership and leadership traits, you know, justice is being, you know, um, 
I guess you could say sort of being that beacon for 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 what is right, right? So obviously as a leader, and I don't want to, you know, focus solely on discipline, but, you know, there's going to be come times when, you know, discipline, you know, might be necessary, right? And and I don't think that any leader looks forward to it, but, you know, you need to ensure that, you know, the, the whatever you, you know, decide that it's fair and that it's just, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, you can't treat someone any better or any worse than anyone else under your charge, um, especially when it comes to operations, because there's just there's not going to be any buy-in from that individual, uh, is, is, you know, for anything that you're putting down. Um, so the next one is uh, judgment, and judgment is you know judgment is one that kind of ties into decisiveness, but you know just just having sound judgment, right? Making making good moral choices that are, you know, of, of benefit to not necessarily you, but the people that are under you. Now, uh, usually after judgment, they say dependability. I actually, I changed that and I put decisiveness uh, for the two Ds after judgment. And there's a reason, um, a term that I heard a long time ago that I absolutely loved, and it's super applicable to the fire department is this decision making. It's better to make the good choice right now than the better choice tomorrow. Um, so for someone outside of the fire service, outside of the military, they would hear that and they would be like, no, that's, that's false. Make the better choice tomorrow. We don't, we don't have that kind of time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, a lot of people, a lot of my peers and, and I love to, you know, talk to people who, um, you know, don't have a military background, but, you know, I consider, you know, outstanding leaders. Um, a lot of them. That you know, they always kind of focus on that. I never understood that whole make a decision, make a decision, make a decision until I became a leader. Well, I kind of already, you know, going up through the ranks, I kind of knew about that. So when I hear that, I'm like, you know, I get it. I understand what they mean because the one thing that they want to keep you from doing is freezing. Once you freeze, that's it. Everything falls downhill. And there's a lot of different schools of thoughts on this. Um, I, I believe leaders are made. They're not born. I think you can be born with, you know, um, leadership potential, but I think ultimately you're made. Um, I think that, you know, um, when it comes to something like decisiveness and making a decision immediately, I think that's one of those things that you can always go back and, and you should go back and, you know, and look over the choices you made. But, you know, make the decision, make it right then and there. And if you're following these traits, and that's something someone used to told me, a long time ago, if you're following all these traits to begin with, you know, you're going to make the right decision. But, you know, trust yourself, have this, have sound judgment, make the decision, make the good one now, move forward. And, and, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, about making decisions and people are afraid to make decisions. And I think what it comes down to, you know, the one thing I say, oh, you know, we don't want to get in trouble. And, you know, I was like, who's getting in trouble for making decisions? Um, unless you're making blatant, terrible decisions. I think what it comes down to is the experience. And I tell people, I said, you know, if you're trying to promote as fast as you can because you want the power of the rank, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, the only way you can make fast decisions that are going to be accurate or going to be at the time that you make that decision is the best for what it is, is having the experience back behind it. If you've got you know four years in the fire service and now you're a lieutenant, there's no way you could have had the experience 
of things that have happened uh, as a firefighter to be able to put that information together to make a quick decision. So you're you're going to run into that whole freezing thing, and 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 uh, everybody knows that when there is a void of leadership, somebody is going to take that take it over. Um, so to, to avoid that void. You need to have the experience behind you in order to make sound decisions. Now, of course, after it's all said and done, you said, oh, you know, I could have done this, which would have been a little bit better. That, that's that's uh, the hindsight is always twenty twenty. Then you have the people that want to play the armchair quarterbacks or the Monday morning quarterbacks. that want to say, oh, this is what you should have done. I can't believe you did that, but you weren't there. The decision that was made, a lot of times you'll find with that experience is that that decision that you made works. Was there a better way to do it? Sure, but what you did worked. Um, we run into a lot of that in the fire service, and those are things that, you know, you had talked about how the battalion chief's the last in line in operations, and then we hear stuff from above. And I do. I hear it a lot. I get a phone call. Well, why did you do that? Well, I did that because of this. Why did you let them do that? Well, they did that because of this. You guys aren't going to hear that because you don't need to. I'll take care of it right then and there. Um, if they don't like the way you did something but I'm fine with it, yeah, that's where it's going to end. So you got to have that experience behind you. You wouldn't take a boot. And put them in a leadership position as a sergeant that a sergeant should be doing to make decisions in the heat of the battle. They're not going to be able to make a good decision. They're going to get somebody hurt. Absolutely. Anyway. Keep, Absolutely. I, I I could not agree more. Um, I I got I got to throw it. So so a little bit more on that. When I uh you know when I started when I became an engine driver, um, Captain Villani he was he was there with me uh, during this process and. Uh, you know, driving him is 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 one of the coolest things ever. Uh, you know, uh, so but you know the one thing is you know about Sam Villani is when 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 the bells go off, it's business. It's mm-hmm. business. He is you know, and and if you've ever worked with him, you know that you know he is he is dead serious. So we were running a uh, two and one in Company Two's area. Uh, we were coming down university. It was the first right uh, after university going towards Company 2. Um, I had the name of the street slipping me. But it wasn't Seek, was it? Seek yes, Seek it was Lane? Seek. So, you know, get out fast, get out fast, get out fast. Well, I get out fast. As we cross Piney, I think we smelled a little bit of smoke. So it's like, okay, we might have a little bit of work here, right? So, um, you know, right off the bat, you know, Sam being who he is, he's, hey, you know, I know you're new, but you know this road. It's it's really tight. Let's let the truck go first. So me, just you know, being young, being new, you know, I'm like I'm not even processing what he's saying. So I start to turn on the seat, right? So he's trying to correct me. I pick up what he's saying, right? All that, whatever they want to call it, temporal, just you know, just being nervous, right? Again, experience. It was mm-hmm. my first. I'm like, wow, this, you know, this is something I want to do it right. So in that moment. I made a decision. I looked over to my right. I saw what I thought was soft grass. I did not take into consideration that, you know, even though it was cold out and it just got done raining, um, the the angle that the grass was on, I decided to beach the wagon. I got uh, three tires up and it got stuck. Um, And we were quite a ways off from the structure. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, uh, you know, it was was something very minor. Um, But, you know... When when we got back to the firehouse, you know, he you know he loved to sit on the front bumper and watch you know the cars go up and down university. He hated 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 that office, which was great because I never felt like I was in trouble. So <laughs> not that I did, not that I thought I was in trouble, but what was really cool is he 
brought me out front and he's like, look, he's like, I'm not upset that, you know, you decided to do that. He's like, you know, that's a lot of things that you had to take in that it's just, it's going to take experience. You're going to have to learn to slow down and process what's going on in front of you. He's like, it's just, it's a new thing. He's like, I am glad though that, you know, once you realized what I was saying, you made a decision. He's like, you know, it wasn't the right decision. He's like, but I can tell you from experience that I honestly thought you were just going to sit there and block the road. He's like, so at least your decision allowed the truck to get past. He's like, now, you know, we need to go back and we need to look at, you know, how do we improve upon this right now? So I never, you know, I never felt like I was in trouble or, you know, it was like, hey, you know, you did something, it didn't work out, so we're going to fix it, right? And it was, you know, it was that easy. That's the way it's got to be. You know, you got to be able to, you know, you don't pull somebody in and say, I can't believe you throw your hands up in the air because you're going to lose that person right away. You use it as a lesson to learn type thing. And you put that in your Rolodex and the next time when, when, when the captain says, hey, hold up for the truck, now you know the why behind the reasoning. Yep. And, uh, yep. And, and, Lesson I, learned. and I and now, I, if you do the same thing again, then we're going to think something's wrong with you, and we'll deal with that accordingly. <laughs> I pull that up uh, a lot. I, I, I focus on you know that that's what it was. It was a lesson learned on something that you know. I never. I mean, I would have. I guess I would have eventually focused on, but you know, it's just it's it's something more that I consider now, and I'm glad that it happened, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that it happened in the way that it happened. And uh, well, you've got that now in the back of your mind. So when you're riding the front seat of an engine, when you're detailed to wherever, oh yeah, um, you know, it's like, hey, we're gonna let the truck get in here first. I'm looking at the map; it's kind of tight. You know, you can throw that Y out there real quick, and then mm-hmm. you know, then when they don't, you know, if they're not acknowledging what you're saying, that's when you can lead them. Hey, you know, yep. you're gonna yell at them, get their attention. But yep. but now you, you know the you know the why behind the reason absolutely and 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 that goes you know that goes back to you know the experience so uh so let's see firsty okay so we are at integrity so integrity um and 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 you know everybody hears the term integrity all the time um again you know this is this is leadership traits so you know this is you know being that moral figure that the the people under you can look at and say you know hey he, he makes the right decisions you know, he, he doesn't, you know, he, he's not corrupt or, you know, he's not doing, I mean, and the smallest thing that you do when it benefits you over everybody else, that is when there is a breakdown in integrity. And that is, you know, that is, that is the crack and the foundation that is your trust that you build with. And I don't like to use the term subordinates, but you know, your crew, the, the people that are with you. So you hear it a lot and everybody's like, ah, integrity, you know, integrity, courage, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, you know, you actually got to think of, you know, how it applies to everything that you do, not just operationally. Um, I I tell people, you know, when we talk about integrity in the leadership role, I tell people, I said, I can sum it up really easy. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking. Absolutely. When nobody's watching what you're doing, you're still continually doing the right thing. Absolutely. And that's how you build your integrity. And, and, and it takes a long time to build that integrity, and it's really easy to lose it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's when no one's looking, there's nothing to gain. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right. So beyond that, we have dependability. Mm-hmm. And this is something that actually – so. Um, you know, not only was I uh, newly promoted, but, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I have uh, some of the best leaders in the world. And, uh, you know, going back to Sam, he he was a big assist. And, and you were there as well for uh, when I got my state certification for teaching, which was 
you know, it was just amazing. Watch, you know, watch guys like you and Sam do it. And I'm like, now I'm up here now, you know, right. it's, it's another reason just to, just to, you know, times are good. So, um, but going back to dependability, so there, it, it was busy, it, it, you know, it was really, really busy. And I, you know, I had a class that was depending on me and I had, you know, because I was in mentorship at the time I had, um, which those who don't know, it's like a Lieutenant mentorship, our department's doing it. It's new. They put, you know, the the uh, the promotees that are about to be promoted in a house where they ride the front seat, get the experience. Um, so anyway, there was, you know, very quickly it, it felt almost overwhelming. But, you know, thinking back to these traits, it, all it takes is one time. One time that someone, you know, and I'm not saying something, you know, something that I can't control. But, you know, if, if you start telling people of, you know, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know, you can count on me to have your welfare, your overall well-being, you know, your, all of that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's important. It falls down to dependability. And again, that is something that, you know, will either make or break you as a leader. Um, so beyond that, moving into tact and and and, uh, and we talked about that, and we talked a little bit about tact. I think that that is you know that is huge. Um, it's you know lines of communication, 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 communication. You know when we talk about combat and errors in combat, communication. Right. When the war, you know, the blue on blues. Absolutely. When we talk about line of duty deaths, communication. That's, it's that's just it one is of the top absolutely. I mean, we are looking into the science behind people receiving messages and sending messages. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's like, look, it's just, it's important to keep those lines open, keep that communication line open. You have to be approachable. Never did I think when I was, you know, at, 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 you know, at any of my firehouses, you know, the, the there were leaders, there were, there were, and, and I use that term as opposed to officers because there were leaders there that, you know, I could approach that I knew no matter what I could come to them and they would have my bench, my best interest in mind. And, and, and that's, it's a comforting feeling. It, it gives you buy into that individual leader. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's important. It's absolutely important. Uh, I, th- I think it's more important in today's day and age where it's so much easier to put your face down in a phone and send a text as opposed to looking someone in the eye and actually talking to them. Um, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a dying art, but, to, but the, the art of communication, to be able to talk to each other, to give information, to receive information, to make sure that the information is understood um, that's where we run into a lot of our issues that, that uh, we either get misinformation or we didn't understand what was being said and we didn't take the time to say, I don't understand what you're telling me. Can you, can you give me that again? Um, even going f- forward with if somebody does something wrong, and, and, you know, you, you as a, a leader, as an officer, you need to take a look at what that person did and then be able to say, you know, I'm not going to say you did something wrong. I need to look back at myself and say, how didn't I explain it correctly to you? What I, I obviously failed somewhere in my line of communication to tell you or to let you know what needed to be done because you didn't do the right thing. It, it ultimately has to come back to me. Um, and then we fix that as opposed to flying off the handle and, and just pointing fingers and, and, and taking the blame and pushing it on somebody else. You know, it, it, the buck stops with, with the person that's in charge. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Um, you, you know, and, and I would have, uh, you know, recently, um, 
um, he was actually he was a, a a float lieutenant, but we considered him an unofficial part of sixteen. Um, Jason Smith, he was really really uh, big on that. Whenever you know he would go over something if he was at sixteen that day, and I didn't understand it, you know. And there were times when I just you know I knew like, hey, I I was you know you said it right. I understood what you were saying. I just you know I I, I, I screwed up. I you didn't know? process right. it that way. Right. Right. But I just, I always thought, you know, I mean, he's taking the time out, you know, he wants to know, you know, Hey, was this me? You know, did you not, you know, or is there something that, you know, even, even minute details, it's just, you know, it's little things like that, even being self-aware of these traits and what they're doing. And, uh, you know, he's another, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't come from the military, but he employs these principles. And it's like, you know, you can, you can see the, the, you know, people aren't even specifically looking for him, but they're still employing these specific principles and how, how functional they are. Right. So, um, where are we at? Uh, E, so, uh, endurance. So endurance is, and, uh, you know, I love, I love stories. I love the relating stories. So I, 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 uh, McSaney Avenue. It was a twelve box. I was with uh, Captain Villani again on this night. Uh, Jason Smith was there as well. Uh, there was actually a lot of people there. It was a, you know, it was basically a one box, and this was a busy night. Well, one battalion one. Uh, right. It was a twelve box. Uh, this was a busy night. We had run a fire in Company Two's area. Uh, we were exhausted. It was late at night. So we get this, you know, this, this, I don't want to say the term great fire because, you know, obviously it was property loss, but. In the fire service world, we, we have, right. we have things, you know, back when I was a fireman and, and a lieutenant and a captain, you know, I was like, man, I hope we can catch fire today, you know, and now being the responsible battalion chief, you know, I say, well, if there is a fire today, which I hope there isn't, but there is, I'd really like to be there. Absolutely. <laughs> and we say that because we are the bat. you know, that's why we're not saying that because we want to watch your stuff burn. We are saying that because we are going to do a better job than anybody else that is going to show up there, and we just want the chance to, to, to show and prove. And, so. and anybody that's listening that doesn't understand the fire service, I, I kind of equate it to you know, a fighter pilot in, in the Air Force, is that they spend their whole career learning how to maneuver that plane and get behind the enemy and fire missiles and, and drop bombs and, and shoot, you know, shoot their, their guns to kill and take out the enemy that's what they do and then when they get into that opportunity well that's their job mm-hmm. and uh, it's the same thing with the fire department is that we train and train and train and we light fires and we do, we do rescues and we do all that kind of stuff so when 911 is called we're good at what we do and and it's our job we i don't want to say we revel in in the fact that that we're 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 going to somebody's residents that that's incurring property damage but if it's happening we want to be there because we want to stop it absolutely absolutely we are yep the chief hit it right on the nose we are great at what we do we 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 enjoy stopping this we enjoy being that shield you know and that's that's why we're here. So that is, you know, a lot of times that's misinterpreted. I see that a lot of times in in, in comment threads, and I know uh, social media isn't always kind to the fire service. Uh, but you know, that's that's there. The, the, a lot of time, there's I don't know. I guess you would call it uh, subtext, but right. you know, behind it. So um, endurance. So yeah, McSaney Avenue. So started in the garage. Uh, some high octane rate or high I don't know racing fuels. Very quickly, uh, I believe it was a balloon framed house, but it got up in the attic pretty quickly. This was a, uh, I mean, this was a was a beater of a fire. It it you know, and at one point, if you go back and listen to the audio, 
The battalion chief literally says on the radio, I know you guys are tired. I know you're exhausted. There's nobody else available in the county right now. It's busy. So, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Just hunker down. Um, It was the only time in my career that I actually did a... uh, uh, a hot bottle swap in an IDLH, um, which, you know, wasn't absolutely necessary, but, <laughs> you know, me and, uh, me and Sam did it. And I just, it was just, I mean, the pictures from that night, we were, we were exhausted. So very quickly I was running on fumes. We all were. Um, and you would see the, the good officers, you know, they would, one, they would start to assist us but two, you could see them putting in more effort. And when I, as a as a you know as a young firefighter, see my officer working twice as hard, and I've and I've bought into that officer, you know that just that that is what kicks on that that last ten percent. Um, you know, it's the same thing in the military. Um, it's it's these people that you know I admire when I see them. Um, it's almost like misery loves company. But it's, it's, you know, I guess motivation does too because I just, I don't know, that kicks me into that extra drive. If I would have been on a job like McSaney Avenue, I don't know if I would have lasted as long as I did without the leaders that I had. We literally collapsed in the back of the wagon. I've never, you know, it's just, it was, it was an exhausting job. It was an absolutely exhausting job. And, you know, we, we, we fought as hard as we could and, uh. And, you know, we saved what we could save. And, and it was just one of those times that, you know, I think that the leaders made that fire what that was. That was a there was a there was a couple of really, really solid leaders there that night that were just really getting out in front of everybody and leading from the front. And, you know, that was that's an, that's something that I think back to. And I hope one day I get the opportunity to pass that forward or pay that forward. Mm-hmm. So um, moving on to bearing. So bearing. uh Bearing, you know, when you think of bearing in the military, because we do a lot of stuff with formations and so on and so forth, you think of the Marine Corps, you know, they say bearing is, you know, the ability to to sit still in formation and, and, and you know, and that's all well and good. Um, but if you're not, you know, specific to a, a, a drill-centered MOS, bearing to me is there was something that someone told me a long time ago that really stuck with me uh, especially for promotion and they said you know when someone walks into the firehouse and all they know is that somewhere amongst those group of firefighters is a supervisor you know you should be you should look like that supervisor, they should be able to pick you out without even knowing it. Go back to, you know, a picture of a, of a group of firefighters posing, you know, and see if you can pick the officer out just based on the uniform, the attitude, the presence. A lot of times you can. Um, and I don't think that's, you know, being the uniform police. It's just, you know, again, that's being the officer that's setting the example. And that to me is how I apply bearing to the fire service. I think that's really important. Sometimes you can walk in a firehouse and say, I know who the officer is. I don't, you know, granted, I know most people in this county, but, you know, if you didn't, it's nice to, you know, walk into a firehouse and say that. Um, and if that's you, then then that's excellent. Uh, so moving forward, moving to C, uh, courage. So, or um, excuse me, uh, you. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's, unselfishness. So unselfishness. Um, 
There is a book that was actually part of the promotional study group for our go round called Leaders Eat Last. And um, so that is a that's something that's done in the Marine Corps. NCOs are always at the back of the line. And, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, And the reason is not just so your junior Marines eat first. I like to tell people like this is when you think of your children, you would never, never, you know, sit down and, 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 and do things in front of your children, right? Especially if you were doing something, you know, important, you know, let's say you're working with your teenage kids, you know, and, and lunchtime comes and you only have two sandwiches, you know, who's getting those sandwiches, right? Obviously not you. So now I'm not saying that, you know, the people in the firehouse are your children, but they kind of are. Right. Um, you need to treat them the same. Um, you need to apply the same principles that, you know, you are there to look out for them. So when I was, and again, you know, the greatest job in, in the fire departments being on a truck company, especially being on one that bends in the middle, um, <laughs> I can't think about that without smiling. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 the independence of it was great. But, you know, the guy who wrote in front of me, you know, everything I did, every action I took, uh, everything we did for that 24 hours was his responsibility. You know, his job was to make sure I was fed. His job was to make sure I knew what his game plan was because, you know, I like to think of myself as, you know, I, you know, I, I like training. I like doing stuff and, you know, people like doing things different. And I, you know, if there's a different way you, you're doing something, I got to know about it before, you know, I can't just assume. So, um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of responsibilities that that entails. And, and, and now I'm in that spot. So now when, you know, when someone's riding behind me, you know, I, I th- those are things that I'm going to consider that, you know, one of those a uh, huge tenant of that is, is unselfishness is putting their needs before mine. The minute I put do something that benefits me and doesn't benefit them, they're going to pick up on that. And again, that's going to be the crack in the wall. Everything that, that the officer does has to benefit the team as a whole. Absolutely. And the fire service, not just themselves. And, Absolutely. And, and so, yes. Absolutely. Definitely. And the, the funny thing about the Leaders Eat Last, you know, I read the book too. Um, when I am eating at the firehouse, you know, it's always, it's like a struggle for me to like, guys, go ahead, get something. No chief, go ahead. You know, they want me to go first. I'm like, no, you guys got to finally like, look guys, you're going to get a call long before I'm going to get a call. So get your food now, get your dinner. And right. while you all are out running your medical locals and all that stuff, I'll just eat by myself. I'm fine. Right, right. So it, it it is a struggle with that. I try to keep that mentality. And a lot of times at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? I'm going to stop arguing with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's respect. It too, is respect. Know. And I the get chief that. comes in and, you know, it's, it's, Hey, the, you know, the, but the chief's but here. They just need to understand that you, you guys need to get your food. You, you guys need to eat because you could be going out on a call, you know, way before me. Sure. So you, sure. You need to get your food. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So now courage. So courage. Uh, so courage is, you know, we think of courage operationally, right? Oh, that guy will go into a fire. That guy, okay. And that's awesome, right? And we're all firemen, firefighters. You know, we all want to go to work or at least, you know, I'd like to think we all, you know, want to go to work. But, you know, courage, it's easy to be courageous. Well, I don't want to say it's easy to be courageous on the fire ground, but it kind of is. It's easy to be courageous on the fire ground, right? It's easy to be the hero. It's not easy to be courageous, you know, when, when, you know, take that 
get rid of the fire ground and make it an administrative thing, right? Against an employee and you got to put yourself in the firing line, you know, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a discipline issue. It could, it could be a multitude of things, but you know, there are times when I think, and I've seen it throughout my career. I've seen, you know, times where I guess leaders, officers are, I don't want to say scared to speak up, but they're, you know, they just kind of go along with the flow and, 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 you know, the upper leadership maybe isn't even aware of what's going on, right? So let's say we've got a standard day and, and there is a company that's being detailed for, I don't know, some menial task, right, to, to assist with something. And maybe that particular day is the last shift before, you know, Firefighter Smith goes for his driving test. Um, now, it would be really easy to sit there and say, oh, you know what, we got to do this. The chief's making us do this, you know, let's go. But, you know, what's not easy is saying, hey, you know, let me try to use a little bit of that tact that I was talking about before, you know, call up the chief, talk to him or her. Maybe, you know, they're not aware of, you know, hey, it's so-and-so's last day, you know, maybe it's not. And if, if, if there's nothing that can be done, there's nothing that can be done. But, you know, when, when someone just kind of gives you that blanket answer of, nah, there's nothing that can be done. Well, you didn't even check, you know, people pay attention to that. Right. So, you know, that, that, that courage, you know, you need to apply that same amount of courage, you know, in all aspects of the job, not just the operational side. Um, so knowledge, uh, my first squad leader, when I, uh, got into the Marine Corps and he actually, uh, you know, he was a really, really good example of what a good squad leader was. Um, he himself had gotten into a little bit of trouble, uh, I guess, early on in his career. And uh, he he had also promoted to sergeant before everybody else. Now, the Marine Corps, they're starting to change. But before, especially before OIF and OEF, you know, they were, their discipline was, it was damning. And, you know, if you, something happened to you in your career, it pretty much, you know, there's a term we had, terminal lance. It, it just meant, you know, you were never going to promote. Um, Not past corporal? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So um, something he did was he made himself so aware of our job as infantry Marines and what it entailed. And he was by no means, and again, you know, I, I, this guy was, you know, he, he was one of my first examples of, you know, how someone else can push you far, far better and far harder than you could ever push yourself. But he, he knew, and, and he did that by, you know, not going out on the weekends by staying in and by, you know, just being proficient at his job. And, and, and you can do that in the military, right? You can, you can become very aware, you know, by looking through books and, and reading mission statements and stuff like that. Um, it's just everybody knew that if this particular sergeant said something, it was law. It would, nobody questioned it. So if you were doing something, if you were patrolling and he said, hey, you know, that's not the hand signal for – you know, contact right or whatever, you wouldn't even bother looking it up. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, that's a that's a hell of a lot of respect. Now, with the fire service, it's a little bit more uh it's 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 not as is one dimensional as that because we have so many different ways to accomplish the tasks that we're trying to accomplish. Um good ways, I should say. But 
I do still think that there is this, you know, maybe not an imaginary line, but, you know, there is this limit to there are people that I just know by conversations, by, you know, how they are and what they talk about and how they interject, that they are very aware of their job, of, of, of the requirements, of the tasks, you know. So uh, going back to driver checkoff, uh, Franco Martinez getting checked off as a driver under him. Um, there was a lot more than what was in that book that I had to do and know. Um, the flip side was, is I can think of a couple of times years later where people from that firehouse would call me up and ask me about that truck company. And I remember feeling such a sense of pride Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not even at this firehouse anymore. And they're calling me and asking me, you know, and it might have been a weird question, you know, hey, what is the grate on the front of a fan called? Or, you know, uh, Scrench was always a good one, uh, the the tool for the saw. Uh, there is a couple other good ones, but still, it's just like you know that's that's something you know right. that tells me that hey you know I'm, they're thinking of me, you know when it comes to this this piece of and, and we live, you know with these with these apparatus with these tools we literally live with them. So um, knowledge, I mean, it's pretty self explanatory, but you you've got to be you know you can have all these other traits. It is not a substitute for you know, lacking in knowledge. You've got to be proficient. And whatever your job is, you have to know what it entails. You have to know the basics at a bare minimum. Um, well, at a bare minimum. <laughs> you should know a lot more than the basics, but... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so moving on, loyalty. Uh, loyalty, again, you can, you know, you can kind of factor that in with some of the other traits, but loyalty, being loyal to your crew, being loyal to, you know, the, the not just your crew, but the job, the mission, you know, maintaining that loyalty between your crew and your crew's welfare and the mission of the fire department and, and, and not wavering on either one, right? I mean, we, you know, as officers, we continually have to put people in harm's way. It is always going to be a part of this job. It is never going to disappear. I don't think anybody, you know, agrees with that. Um, the risk is always going to be significant. There's always going to be, you know, things that happen. And, you know, we, we whether, whether we say it, whether we do it just because we've trained on it and they know it and they automatically do it but you know the minute we get inside that building or the minute we put ourselves you know in an environment that's not safe to us as the officers we're responsible for that but again there's a mission to accomplish mm-hmm. right there's there's somebody that needs saving you know or 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 whatever you know we need to factor that in we need to understand that there are expectations of us and you know you can still be loyal to your crew to your team and at the same time accomplish these missions they all know that you know we, we, it's called the fire department so we understand for the most part that there is risk involved um and then the last one the one that i save Again, I swapped these two. Um, enthusiasm. Um, being enthusiastic about your job, about your organization. And you don't have to, everybody, you know, people immediately say, well, you know, does that mean, you know, if you're not uh, in 100% agreement of, you know, the way your department's handling one thing or handling another, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, look at your mission, look at your mission statement, look at what you're trying to accomplish day in and day out. And, and train for that. And, and if you're enthusiastic about it, and again, I go back to him, a great example, uh, you know, Sam. Sam was, you know, it was 
him and Franco, it was just, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was a blast. It was, you know, we love doing stuff with them, but I can tell you more often than not, he was the one that was, you know, just out there out messing with, you know, and we would see that and we would kind of circle around him and it would just go from there. It was always these informal sessions that just turned into, you know, us being out back, you know, with these crazy search scenarios. Um, I think with enthusiasm as, as an officer or as a leader in an organization, um, if you show up to work, you know, every shift enthusiastic about your job and ready to go, that's going to rub off. That is going to, you're going to have two mindsets. It's going to happen. One is like this guy, I don't want to work for him. I don't want to let this guy down. The other one is like, look at this guy. What's he trying to do? Those people are going to go away. Yep. They're going to go somewhere else. But the ones that are like, Hey, this captain comes to work. He is happy to be here at work. He's always wanting to do some stuff. He's always upbeat. Even if, you know, the worst scenarios that we have, he tries to find the silver lining. That's going to definitely uh, play into how the shift is going to interact with each other as well. So I think enthusiasm is – once you start losing the enthusiasm for the job, that's when you need to start taking a look at – Am I still? Should I still be doing this job, or do I need to change what I'm doing? Do I need to go somewhere else because I'm getting complacent? Um, and and they all go hand in hand. If you lose enthusiasm, then you're going to start getting complacency. And when you start having that happen, then we start to get into this dangerous spiral where we start to to break down, where you have injuries and, and deaths and things. So, I think enthusiasm for the job. I tell people, I said, you know, they say, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I'm still having fun, and. Um, it's true. I you know I wake up in the morning. My my alarm goes off. I'm up. I don't like hit the snooze forty eight times. Get dressed and I'm out the door. You yeah. know and and I'm at work. Uh, you know a couple hours before shift starts. I enjoy the job. And there's a lot of people out there that are like that. Yeah. It's 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 honestly. I, I still can't believe I get to do this for a living. And now I get to do it as an officer. It's 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 the best best place to be in the world it really is well, it I'm, really is. I'm glad that you got a chance to to break this down because like I said I've been looking at it you know, in, in the military books and things like that, you know, they have little quick definitions, but to be able to hear it from somebody who had to not only memorize and understand it, but then had to live by it for the, for the five or six years that you were actually with the Marines and then coming into the fire service and then taking that same, um, uh, uh, acronym and applying it to the job, you know, it, it, it can. And, and I knew, I knew that, that, you know, we've always been called a paramilitary organization or quasi military organization. Absolutely. Um, so we do take a lot of the traits from, uh, the military and, and apply that to, you know, the situations that we find ourselves in. Um, and I think that, uh, being able to, Take the information that you've given today with, with, with the acronyms, with what you did on the job and how you learned, you know, the things that you learned on in the Marines and bridging it into the fire service um, should definitely uh, have people – let pe- allow people to start thinking more about where does the fire service come from, where are we now, and what attributes and traits can we take from the military and bring into to the, uh, the fire service, not just the technology that the military comes with, but also the, the classroom you know, stuff that you guys have. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, they've been doing leadership stuff in the military for like 70 years, you mm-hmm. know, um, and they've had time to vet it and find out what works and what doesn't work. And I think it's really time for the fire service to start – Maybe partnering up with some of these uh, um, 
organizations, whether it be the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Coast Guard, whatever. I mean, we are in this – the Washington metropolitan area, we are rich with military in this mm-hmm. area. There should be no reason why we can't start to um, cross-train and, and, and gather information that they have and, and to bring it in here. And that, that was kind of what started this whole podcast thing about this leadership is, is you know, are we going down the right road? Where are we missing the boat and what can we do to make it better? So – Dave, I appreciate you coming on here, and uh, we, we even got to go 20 minutes over what we normally do, but um, I'm glad you were here, and, and uh, I'm glad that you got to, to really lay this whole thing out um, and to give the, the people that are listening to the, 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 the six or seven people that listen to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> get to uh, actually kind of hear a breakdown of you know the, the military versus the fire service and, and how they come together. So thanks for coming, man. Yeah, I, I'm... I was very, very excited to do this. I'm glad I got to do it. Um, you know, I mean, it's no secret. I'm, 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 I'm extremely, extremely excited about this new position, about, you know, what I'm getting, this whole new world I'm getting ready to step into. You know, I've watched guys, you know, um, I mean, hell, I, I, you know, ran my first fire with you ever. Mm-hmm. My And, and, and that's kind of crazy that now I'm sitting here, you know, as a, sure. as a new Lieutenant talking to you as a chief. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me. It's, 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 it's incredible. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, you know, huge on, there are so many things that I think that I, you know, I apply from the military to this job daily. They benefit. I think it would go the other way too. I think there's a lot of stuff that the fire service picks up on um leadership wise that the military could really benefit from um you know i mean you're living with these people you you know you're you're going through entire careers with with individuals and you know there's this dichotomy of you know they move up they move down you know so on and so forth people it's just it's crazy and there's a lot of lessons learned there i will say that my final thing is the one thing that i always remembered is the the a lot of the people I worked with here and in the military there was I had buy into them um you know um I just I looked at them and I'm like you know I want to do good for them you know it's like if someone told me to clean a bathroom someone just random told me hey clean that bathroom I'm paying 10 bucks you know I'll clean the bathroom I'll die you know I'm not gonna do a crap job right but you know, if, if if someone, you know, if, if if someone like Sam or Jason or, you know, told me to clean that bathroom, I am going to detail that bathroom, you know, like nobody's business right. because I'm doing, you know, and it's not that I, I want to do. It's just I, I have buy into them. You know, I want to I want to show them, hey, everything you do for me, I appreciate and I want to push that forward by being the best that I can for you. And sure. if I could ever I mean, I'm sitting here because of them. So. If I could pay that for it to one person, that's worth it to me. So I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well, that, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Take take what you've learned, you know, throughout your career in the military and 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 coming into the fire service. And when these new people are coming in, find the opportunity to be able to, you know, just throw little things out there to them, or you know, hey, let's talk about this today while you're sitting at the kitchen table. Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you'd be surprised. People will really want to engage and 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 tell you. You know, that's one thing the fire, firefighters will always do. They will tell you your opinion, their opinion, whether you want it or not. Yeah. Um, but when you engage them and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Or tell me what you think about that. You'll be able to start to see, um, you know, their line of thinking. And then you can start to interject some of the things that you've learned. And that's how you pay it forward. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Not a problem. Thank you. Again, uh, you can find us on social media, uh, Side Alpha Leadership's on Instagram. It's on um, Twitter. And, uh, or you can, uh, use, uh, send private messages on, uh, either one of those platforms. Uh, again, every month we'll be putting out a, uh, another podcast on leadership. So if you got any questions, by all means, uh, send me a message and uh, I'll do my best to answer them. Have a good month. <laughs>